Well, we are back. Again, it's uh, me, Chris, here with JD. Finally We're back, back baby. From vacation, doing all this normal stuff. And Vacay. Get everything taken care of, and I'm going to let him take off. He's got a lot to talk about today, so he's been gone for a while, so we're going to let him go. Tis the summer. Tis the dog. We're getting into the dog days of summer, guys, and I tell you what, we're past the trade deadline. We're about a week roughly past the about We're about four days past the trade deadline. Um, some teams really bolstered themselves. There were some surprises out there, um, kind of some some surprises. Is I'll, I'll just kind of go uh, team by team. You know, the Chicago Cubs, you know, they. I was thinking that they were going to be heavier sellers. I was thinking that Contreras, before the season, I was thinking Hap, Contreras, Contreras and Hendricks, there was no way they were not going to be Cubs after the trade deadline. But here we here we are, and they are all Cubs. So I feel like the people were saying, well, it was kind of a seller's market. Well, I don't know about that necessarily because it seems like the return that teams got for a lot of these guys was really nil. I mean, the, for Whit Merrifield, for example, for the Royals, Merrifield, and I don't care what you say about Merrifield, Merrifield had some really solid, um, a few really solid seasons. It was an, was an excellent contact hitter and can play multiple positions. I thought that he was going to be a guy who would get you who would have before have gotten you two or three you know good prospects and the Royals in return they got two guys two 23 year olds who could be something but they were not really top 20 quality prospect material top 20 in assistant material so Royals didn't do well the Cubs kind of saw that, that it was not exactly a seller's market so they decided to hold on to Hap and hold on to Contreras and these guys and, and they could still trade them at the deadline uh, or excuse me they could trade them in the offseason um, whether are they going to get necessarily more return in the offseason than they would have now? Um, probably not, but it's probably. It, I think it's you know the reasonable a reasonable decision to keep them around. But that said, though, they've got to trade them at the offseason unless they want to trade them at the at the deadline next year and get the consolation prize, which is what the Royals do all the time. Is they just wait until it's too late and they say, well, now we have to trade them and they get a consolation prize. What's what the Royals always do, and it's why that they're it's why they're losing ninety five plus every single year. But you look at some other teams, some teams, of course, you know, the Colorado Rockies, once again, holding steady. And I know the Rockies are another team who kind of get a lot of um, a lot of criticism because I, I because they feel like their team is in a much, much better position than literally everybody else believes. And it's kind of easy to rip on them. But one thing that the Cardinals do have that the Rockies do have is they've got a really, really strong fan base. They've got excellent attendance. They've got an enthusiastic fan base for for a team that hasn't really been uh, in it most years in the last like 10 or 15 years um, and they've got you know some resources but uh, you know they've they've had the same front office now for like 15 20 years I think actually even longer than that and most of the time frankly it doesn't really work out for them they didn't have really a lot of tradable pieces anyway so and th there's that mystery of how in the hell can you solve uh, being able to play at Coors Field, which I, I, I don't know. To me, the Rockies are going to have to bring in a bunch of these like phys physicists, I guess, f physics experts, and try to determine how in the hell can we develop pitching at Coors Field? How can we develop a team that can play at Coors Field and not get our asses beat in on the road? Because they've never been able to figure that out. So... You know, and that's why they're kind of, they kind of have this volatile team where they could lose 95 games or they could surprise you and win like 90 games and then maybe make the postseason as like a wild card team or something like that. So anyway, uh, moving on, different teams. Uh, I thought, of course, the big uh, nugget was the Juan Soto trade. Uh, the, the San Diego Padres, they demonstrated they're, they're all in for the next three years. They said, that, here's our window. 
Here's our window. We've got three. We've got this year and two more years after this. That's our window to compete. And I don't care that they have Tatis for a long, long time. And they don't have, you know, Darvish and some of these guys are going to, eventually they're going to be free agents in the next two or three years. So the Padres just explicitly stated it's our next three years. We're going to try to compete deep in the postseason each of those three years. And I say, well, you know, three years is really not that long of a window, but I would kill to be in, in, that, in that position right now as a Royals fan just to have three potentially really good years. So they're setting up some more exciting times for uh, in San Diego. I do think the, the Washington Nationals, for all of those players they got in return, I think they did pretty well. I think that they are closer. The, the, the Nationals right now are closer. Now, are they much closer? I don't know if I'd use the term much closer, but I, they're closer right now to being back to where they need to be, which is a competitive team. you got to go from being a, a last-place team. The first step is to be a competitive team. And by competitive, I'm talking 500 or above. And, and, then, and then maybe after a year, maybe two years, then you're stepping up, and then you're winning 92-plus games every year. Um, the Baltimore Orioles have already made that first step. They have taken that first step. And they had a somewhat surprising uh, 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 deadline this year where they were actually sellers. And David, I didn't really expect them to be sellers. Now, I didn't expect them to be buyers necessarily, but I really kind of expected them to hold pat. But they were trading some key pieces. I mean, Jorge Lopez, uh, a guy who the Royals uh, could never figure out. And Jorge Lopez, I mean, I, I think his ERA was like eight or something in the Royals uniform. Well, the Orioles and their new uh, development team under their new uh, Elias, who has been their GM now for four years. This is his fourth year as GM. By the way, former Astros executive. They brought in who a bunch that? of did extra- a hell of a job. Yeah, did a hell of a job in Houston, and he brought in a bunch of his people from Houston, and it's really tangibly already taking off for Baltimore because they are right now six games above 500. They are in the thick of the wild card race. They're not going to win the AL East, and no other team other than the Yankees is going to win the AL East. But guess what? They're going to be a wild card team. Well, they could be a wild card team. I mean, and they might be. And yeah. right now, I believe that they are. That they're they're in. They're tied for the last place. Yeah. Uh, so last here we, place of the wild card. In the wild card. The wild card, card yeah. Place. And right now they're uh, they're worth watching right now. I mean, they're, if, if you're an Orioles fan, you're watching, you're wanting to attend the game because these are games that are actually meaningful. We haven't been in that situation in a long, long time. They're actually closer now than the Royals were in 2016 and 2017 at this time. I mean, the thing that kills me is you, you see what Houston did in what was it, 15 or 13, 14, 15, 16. And then in 17, 18, you see what they're and from now on they've been amazing. <laughs> Obviously, Elias knows what he's doing. So when he went there, he he already had the blueprint. Yeah, yeah, and he already got, knew exactly what to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles are really good in the next two years. I, I believe they will be because they're just going to continue. They've got it down to a science. Look at their look at these bullpen ERAs. I mean, Dylan Tate 2.28, Felix Bautista 1.77. Mike, who the hell are these guys? Clonel Perez 1.15, Keegan Aiken 2.39, Joey Krebel. 2.29, Austin Voth, 3.19. Their rotation has, has been pretty solid. They don't have a lot of the swing and miss type in the rotation yet. Grayson Rodriguez, and then there's one other prospect who's still in the minor leagues. Um, if, if there's a commenter out there, if somebody's listening to this, if you want, who is that other prospect? Somebody else other than Grayson Rodriguez um, is, is down there, and they're going to be uh, big players next year. They already have the catcher, Adley Rutschman, who's in the, in the big leagues. They've got another core player, I believe, in Cedric Mullins, who's in there. They've got some, some pop. Ryan Mountcastle. Of course, they traded Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini was in the last year of his his contract, so they felt like, well, you have to trade him now. So, okay, they probably should have traded him before now, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, so Baltimore looks pretty good. Um, you know, Toronto, 
you know, was a buyer, but you, I probably expected them to do a little bit more um, than they did. I mean, they went after they got they got Whit Merrifield. Um, they weren't really. Heavy I don't understand it. why they got Whit. What do they need Whit for? You know, um, Springer got hurt, and that's the only reason. I mean, that doesn't seem like a good enough reason for them to go and get Win Merrifield. I, I guess, yeah, you could say that Santiago Espinal has has really slumped recently. He's an All Star, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird. Cavan Biggio, I know, was sent down this year, and they maybe just felt like we need a little bit more depth in the outfield. But then the corner outfield, or their entire outfield, really is set with. Guriel, Springer, and Hernandez. So, I don't know. Just kind of like a depth option, like a 10th player, you know? Um, but it is kind of, you're right, it, that it is It is funny that they went after Whit Merrifield. I would have thought that they would go after a starting pitcher to try to replace Wei, to try to replace uh, uh, Hyunjin Ryu, um, who's out for the year. But um, but they didn't do that. And But I still think, yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays look pretty good. Uh, I think they're, they're definitely a playoff team. Tampa Bay, what do they do? Not, they didn't really do that much. I feel like um, they they really don't typically make big time moves uh, at the deadline. The Red Sox were kind of like mixtures between buyers and sellers. Um, looking at other teams throughout uh, the Red Sox, you know, as as we know, they uh, they of course picked up Eric Hosmer, um, and then they traded their catcher Christian Vasquez, and they acquired somebody else, and I don't remember who it was, but there was someone else who they picked up. Um, so there were kind of mixtures between buyers and sellers. Uh, Oakland, of course, trading off Fra- Frankie Montas. And there was one other guy who I was expecting Oakland to trade, but they Sean didn't. Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy. Okay, yeah, yeah. The asking price of Sean Murphy was a little too high, according to all the analysts. Uh-huh. Um, but Cleveland really wanted him bad, but they weren't ready to give up all their, their big-name guys that were in their, their uh, prospects. And see, here's what I don't understand, is you have all of these teams who are in dire need of catching. I mean, like the Houston Astros. There's like five good catchers in in the entire MLB. When I say good, I mean that they're quality defensively and quality at at batting as well. Right. Um, Which it seems to be really difficult, which is why why didn't Sean Murphy and or Contreras get dealt? I know. And why didn't Salvador Perez get dealt? Well, they didn't. You know why Salvador's never never going anywhere, but Christian Vasquez gets dealt? Like what? Like I know he's good, but like is he that much better than the other two? Right. Did he cost that much less? I don't know what's going on. Right. If I were one of those teams, I would I would go all in for a catcher who could help you win in the next three or four years. I mean, that's what I would do. Is I would have gone in for, and we know that. Now again, the front office is so stubborn; they're never going to trade Salvi. But Salvador Perez is that guy. If there's a team who is on the who is a 92 ish win team who are on the cusp of like being this juggernaut, like 96 win team, go get Salvador Perez. Get him for the next like, three just years. Just think what the Mets would have been if they would have had Salvi. Right. Yeah. Like they didn't do that much, which is fine. They did get somebody from the Cubs, but if they got. Um, Salvador Perez as well as a backstop. I mean, just think how much better they would be overall offensively. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I made a proposal, and you could laugh at this, but I proposed Salvador Perez. Now, the, some Royals, some Royals fans who are really, really loyal to Perez, and I love Salvador Perez too. Okay. I think he should have went three years ago in 2019. Right. Him and Merrifield should have been traded. They both would have got back four high-level prospects each. Yeah. And we would be uh, talking about a completely different Royals team at this moment if they did that. Right. And we would be talking about a team that right now already has has graduated. You know, a handful, and I would say a handful. We're talking one handful of of good to great prospects who are already at the big league level like Melendez and Bobby Wood Jr. and Singer and then they would have a then another a, a top 10 at least or maybe even top five farm system going into next year if you had traded Whit Merrifield and Salvador Perez at the right time but guess what the Royals don't have that now we have a top 20 at best farm system going into next year and we have a team that's that's losing 97 games so I can't forecast for the Royals I still, even after this year's deadline, I cannot safely say 2025 is going to be great. 2024, we're going to win 83 games. 2025, we're going to win 90 games. No, I don't believe any of that. I don't. I don't even see this team going above 500. 
uh, at all in the next six years. I mean, unless they I mean, make some more moves. Every single person in their farm, se- farm team that they expect to be like really good better come out and be nails. Yeah. Or they're going to be screwed yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and therein kind of lies uh, my, the issue with the juxtapositioning. If you compare the Royals with these other teams, and I mean, we've been, we've seen it on a couple it's, of... Dude, it's a GM gap, dude. It's a, it's a front office gap. There's a huge gap between those front offices, even the ones of the Orioles. I mean, we're talking about the Baltimore Orioles, right? I don't even think I can say those O's aren't Royal anymore because the Orioles <laughs> are literally stealing the Royals' lunch money right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, it, it it comes down to front office. It comes down to the GM. Uh, it, it, and I think a lot of it comes down to player development as well. And we know the Royals, Royals just cannot develop pitching uh, in in particular as well. Now the hitting is starting. I, I will say that objectively, this is objectively. It I feel like the hitting development is starting to turn around a little bit now. It's only it's been less than a year. I mean, it's been like really less than a half of a year that we've really started to see the results of the hitting. So that may not last. Yeah, but that's in the main. That's the, we're talking about the hitting coaches in the in the major leagues. We're not even talking about their developmental people that come up from rookie ball all the way up through, you know, triple A. I mean, yeah. what are they doing there? That because that's really where you see the huge jumps and the developments of approach and how people take take bats well and see the ball well and and things like that. The Royals seem to have you know nobody's there. I mean, the, they definitely don't have anybody for pitching. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Ace Lacy's really fallen on his, on his face right now. I mean, he walked, I think five guys and hit a batter in one third of an inning yesterday. He couldn't even get out of the first inning. I don't know what his deal. I think that Probably Lacey, trying to get traded. I think Lacey may, may have to, I'm just going to say it. He may need some like surgery or some sort of an intervention because this is not normal. I mean, this is what Rick Ankeel did in t- 2001 or whatever it was when he walked all those guys in the playoff game. And this is also Dontrell Willis. This is what happened to him later on in his career where he couldn't find home plate anymore. And this is it's, it's pretty scary. It he happens may, sometimes. He may be trying to get traded. I, I don't know. I, I that may. is a thing. I know people that did that. They would, if they knew they weren't going to make it to the bigs and they were a high-level prospect, they would just start kind of sucking and be like, you know, I just don't fit in well here. And then as soon as they go somewhere else, they start kicking it back up again with different teeth. Some people just need different approaches, different looks, yeah. different coaches. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not every coach can fit. And also, that's the challenge in coaching as well. As coaches, you can't have the same philosophy for every everybody because we're all built differently. We're all a little different. You know, One approach for somebody may work really well, and then the same approach for a different person may work really poorly. So, and I feel like the Royals have their, their, their problem with their pitching development is they, ha- I, I go there in many spring trainings. I've been there for like 10 different, 12, I think 10 to 12 different spring trainings in Surprise Arizona. And I watch their pitchers. They're all doing the same thing every year. They do the same thing every, they did the same thing in 2018 than they did in 2007. <laughs> they, they, they never change, they never uh, evolve with new information. And there's been plenty of new information in that time. And they also use the same philosophy for, for different pitchers. So who's, who's, work. I mean, you can have a, a pitching philosophy that's the same, but the like mechanic wise stuff that's what changes. I mean. That's what I mean. Uh, so you mean mechanically? Okay. Mechanically. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. I'm just making sure. And so, but like who's, who does it fall upon for them not changing any of their, um, you know, their training habits or, or their, you know, drills and stuff like that. I mean, frankly, I think it falls on the d- player development, the player director of player development, I think is the one who takes the most responsibility for that. Well, actually, ultimately it's the, it's the general manager of the team because he's responsible for hiring the, or the executive vice president of the team who's responsible for hiring the general manager, who's responsible for hiring the play, director of player development. But then you also go down to the individual coaches at the major league level or at the minor league levels. And they're not, 
whatever information is, they're, they're, it's, it's either bad information or they're not articulating it well to the players. And I also think that there's not enough, uh, like Long Toss, for example. Why, why, are the, why have the Royals always been against Long Toss? That clearly has never worked because the Royals can't get can't develop starting pitching. They can't get guys who can go 100-plus pitches in a game and through six-plus innings most games with three runs or less. They just, they've just never been able to do that. And I think the best pitcher they've developed so far, you could argue Brady Singer. I mean, you could argue Brady, Brady Singer, and feel, I'm talking about so far. I feel like Brady Singer was already developed when he came because he's the exact same pitcher he was when he was in Florida. He's the exact same pitcher. At this point, he's just kind of adjusted himself to the hitters and got himself adjusted to who he's pitching to. But he's the same pitcher he was when he was at Florida. Yeah. And so I don't really think they've never taken a guy who's who's been out of high school with no like upper level like playing a bit playability at that time and turned him into an ace. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Th- like yeah. like Degrom. Yeah. Right. But um, it, it's it, it is interesting, you know, looking at the uh, the you know the juxtapositioning between Baltimore, for example, and the Kansas City Royals. And Baltimore are already five games above five hundred. They're in the thick of a playoff race. This is their fourth year under their new GM and this is their fourth year of development I, because they went to the uh, the last that went to the postseason I believe it was 2017 if I'm not mistaken that was the year where where uh, Buck Showalter left or didn't bring in Zach Britton and there was that whole issue that may have been 2016 actually I may look at I that. think it was 16 that was 16 okay okay but this is their fourth year under the, under the new GM and they've been bad they've been a punchline and now they're back to being competitive, and the Royals are right now 43 and 65, and they have the third worst team and third worst record in the American League. So uh, it, it's tough. It's a tough road back there. Um, but looking at some of these other teams and going back to the trade deadline, where teams I think improved or where they where they didn't improve. You know, some teams weren't really too active. I mean, Pittsburgh they they weren't really anything. I, don't, I guess they didn't really have that much to trade. They need to figure out what they were going to do with Brian Reynolds. Um, to me, Brian Reynolds. I think that might be, to me, that's the story of the entire trade deadline, the people that didn't get traded. And, like, why are these teams not trading these assets? And similar to the way the Royals did when they had an asset that they could have traded for a lot of stuff, um, are they overvaluing their assets? Do people not think that there are people undervaluing these people? Um, and, is like, you have to figure that out. I mean, what, like, what's going on? Like, Right. And it was just like the whole Hosmer thing, not wanting to go to Washington, was that going to kill the deal? Like, you have to do something. If you're going to trade people and you're going to be a buyer trader at the at the deadline you need to understand what you're doing yeah so the question is do the pirates not understand who they have do the cubs not understand who they have and what they can get back for them or other teams just not really care and know actually i think this is i think this is what it is i think other teams that want players know they can just get them at the deadline or not the deadline but uh in the offseason the offseason yeah because the Pirates just give up people like they they never have a, a lot of people that they keep on their roster and they don't have a really competitive roster and so the Pirates do that. The Cubs, went without Theo Epstein, do that. The Royals always do that. Um, they always, people always, they never sell high. They always sell low, and they always buy high for no reason. Um, and it's just a GM. Again, it's a GM difference. You can just tell which teams are, are run by good GMs and which teams aren't. Um, right. So, And I always thought Heim from uh, Boston was a good GM, but his moves at the deadline, getting Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer, that seemed really stupid. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. understand that at all. Right. Well, it just seems like Boston, they were just a team who, they, they were a team who were kind of mixed. They were buying and selling. And uh, I know I've done that in my OTP base, my awesome OTP, that's a plug, by the way, out of the park baseball, one of the best, actually possibly the best baseball game ever made. Um, sometimes I'll do that if my team's like 500 or if I don't have like a lot to spend, I'll do that. I'll kind of buy and sell 
um, and just and, and hope it works out, which it does sometimes, um, most of the time. Uh, but looking at these other teams, let's see what what moves did <clears throat> excuse me the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, did they really? I mean, they traded for Jordan Montgomery for the Yankees. They didn't shoved it up the Yankees today. Yeah, yeah. Or yesterday. Yeah. That was actually awesome. Like he came out and just like completely shoved it up the Yankees yesterday. Oh. I'll be frank though, there weren't as many. I mean, Soto was the big nugget out there, but there weren't as many. There weren't that many big names traded this uh, this deadline, and to me, that tells me that teams are really, re once again, they're really, really valuing their prospects. I think the teams value their prospects generally a little bit too much, because I look back at at well, the Royals who are my team, and I do follow the Royals prospects, and I know the Royals haven't been able to develop. But I look back at 2015, 2016, like, they, yeah, they should have traded that guy. They should have traded that prospect. They should have traded that prospect. They should have traded that prospect. And they should just try to try to go all in. And I think that for somebody like a prospect like Mondesi, I think that you could have gotten somebody. Yeah, really Mondesi good. was another one of those guys that if they would have traded Mondesi, Whit Merrifield, and so and Salvi in like 2018, 2019 when they were really struggling. Yeah they would be in a completely different situation than they are right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it, here's a deal that, that kills me is um, I was watching MLB and listening to Dan O'Dowd. He was talking about when he was um, GM for the, the Cleveland Indians, and the owner came up to him and said, hey, I know we suck right now. Once we get good, I never want to suck again, which means I don't want to go all in and trade all my prospects for one guy. I want to be able to know that every single year we're going to have a shot to make the playoffs. Yeah. And I'm sitting here wondering, I'm like, that's why Cleveland baseball seems to be more – Productive for their their city than Kansas City baseball. Yeah, because they and same with the the Cardinals have the exact same mon mantra. They're not they were they were in the running for uh, Juan Soto, but they didn't want to give up their four big guys and Dylan Carlson just to get Juan Soto. I agree for three right. years, right? So and they know that they're going to be really good this year, and then in two years they're going to be even better because they have these three guys that are going to come up and be amazing. It seems like the the Cardinals every single time they bring somebody up, they're an all star, and so. You know what, what's going on with the Royals, and you know not wanting to trade guys, even though they use your players as capital. Sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes you have to do that. Why didn't you trade Grinky, Grinky at the at the deadline? That'd have been another good one. I know somebody somebody could the Toronto could have used him. When you say use your players as capital, the Royals don't speak that language. They of don't know what they don't that speak means. That they, they don't, don't understand. Know what that means. They don't, use your resources as resources. Everything is a resource. Yeah. Like, I know it sucks, and I know you're trying to, quote-unquote, sell tickets, come up with a plan, introduce it to people in the city, and act like you want to win the games. If you if people have a plan to where you're going and they can see that you're making moves towards that, they're going to be okay with you selling somebody like a Salvi, Salvador Perez. They're not going to be mad right. if you get rid of Salvi, if you come back and you get what was... I mean, what did... I mean, you could have probably got two out of the four prospects that Juan Soto got from the Nationals for somebody like Salvi from a different team. Mm -hmm. That level of that level of talent. Yeah. Because people need a catcher as good as Salvi. He's arguably the best catcher in the baseball right now. Right. I, I proposed a trade, and, and people people could laugh about this, but the trade that I proposed was Salvador Perez for to the Cardinals for Dylan Carlson. I know that he's already a big leaguer, but Dylan Carlson, Matthew Libertor, Libertor, yeah. Um, That's a little too much. That right there is a little. Ooh, really? You think it's a little bit too much? For, yeah. For Salvi? I mean, yeah. Okay, interesting. The other the third guy was Lars Newtbar. So that was the third. Game. I mean, those are three MLB ready guys. They're not going to give out their MLB ready guys. I mean, Carlson for sure. They're not going to. They, if they wouldn't sell, wouldn't trade Carlson for Juan Soto. They're definitely not going to trade Carlson for, for Salvi. And they have mm -hmm. Molina, but after this year, they don't. Mm -hmm. But they got a really, really good Yvonne, uh, Yvonne Hernandez. I think is the name of the guy that's coming up. He's in AAA and he's doing really well. He should be up next year for the Cardinals. You're talking about okay. And wow. so, but other than I mean, but if you think about it, like the Mets. Um, 
No, they don't need one. I mean, you could probably make a trade with Tampa Bay, but they'd probably fleece the Royals. Um, they don't really. Every time somebody trades with Tampa Bay, they get fleeced. It doesn't matter what happens. Right. You go back and you look at the trade, who they traded for what they got, it ends up being a total fleece job. And you're just like, what in the world's going on here? Which is probably another reason why the Cubs didn't want to trade Contreras to the Rays. They probably were like, well, we're not going to get fleeced here on this. They're not going <laughs> to give us very much. And, right. you know, I get it. Um, right. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't understand. I mean, this whole we don't want to use our players as capital. That's what losers, that's how losers think. Yeah. And, and I think that, and, and also props to the Milwaukee Brewers for trading their stud closer, arguably the best closer in the game, Josh Hader, in the middle of, the, of, a, of a playoff run. And it's, it's an unconventional move. But if you were looking at, at it, and, and I could see how some people <coughs> would really criticize or blast I'm going to criticize move. the crap out of it because they've already lost like four games in a row since they've done it, and they're already out of first place. Yeah. They've blown three saves because of it already. I mean, it's probably one of, it's going to go down as one of the worst trades in the history of the franchise. Uh, you know, they may not even make the playoffs this year because of that. I, I, I'm on record, though, as saying that I think it's a defensible move because you know you look at it, 15 million. That's a lot to spend. You free up that money, then you can go out and you can get someone in the offseason. They definitely need. Are you going to get better than Josh Hader? Well, you get get a position player. You get get a hitter. You can get a different guy. Day. Same thing. Well, and they did get Taylor Rogers, who um, who's okay, but he has not been good lately, and he's definitely not Josh Hader. Yeah. Josh Hader's given up seven home runs in his career. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Rogers given up seven home runs the last two years. Yeah, I, I just tend to believe that bullpens though are easier generally to uh, to replace. I mean, There's bull- a reason why some of these guys are always at the top of the list when it comes. Josh Hader's unhittable. Mm. He's unhittable, and you traded away a guy that big. It's like trading away Edwin Diaz right now. Saying it's you know, well, we'll be fine. We got Juris Familia later. Well, I got Juris Familia back. Don't worry yeah. about it. It's just it's a different level of player. And that's that's a move that I would have done in my OTB baseball games when I'm playing as like the Mariners or the Pirates or teams who are not like don't have money, a bunch of money to spend. I mean, and that is one disadvantage with in the Milwaukee Brewers is the Milwaukee Brewers don't have the the they're not a giant market team. I mean, they're, they're actually much smaller than Kansas. Even Kansas City is a market. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So weird how they're always good, though. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they're good. Yeah. But they still have to be forced into into moves like trading Josh Hader. I mean, I, I don't love the move of trading Josh Hader, but I could see it. I mean, I, I think it's defensible. Yeah, they've lost the four games. And I tell you what, if it ends up costing them the postseason, then I'll, I'll end up looking I mean, it may cost them the postseason. They literally traded their best player to the Padres who are going to take their postseason spot because of that. Hmm. Like, they're now officially out of the wild card. The, the Brewers aren't even in the wild card. The Phillies have won six games in a row. So they're the last wild card spot. And the Padres are right behind them. The Milwaukee Brewers are not going to take back first place, and they're not going to get hot enough to save. And I, I would love to see them play a game against the Padres and just get smoked. Hmm. But it's not going to happen. I wow. Mean, wow. I mean, it's just, but the thing that kills is if you look at the reaction from the players in the, in the clubhouse, that's what you need to look at. All their players, everybody in the bullpen, all their hitters are like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, we're trying to win a playoff game and get to the playoffs, and you trade our, one of our best players. And they're all just pissed. And then they blow two saves after that. The guy who was the setup man, Devin Williams, is now the closer. And he blew two saves in a row. And now everybody's like, well, why'd you even? I mean, look at who do you have? I'm like, dude, Devin Williams has been unhittable all year. And now he's lost his mind because the guy he's supposed to rely on is no longer there. Yeah. 
It just changes. There's a lot that goes into it than rather than just numbers on a piece of paper. But but if you but you also look at it though, and re- regardless of whether you're in, you're either in the playoffs or going for the playoffs or you're not, if you have a guy like Josh Hader, especially if you have him for the next year and a half, they only have Hader for the next year and a half. You got this stud closer making 12 million this year and like probably 15 million next year. You got him for the next year and a half. Like to me, I I do feel like unless you're like the Yankees or the Dodgers where you can just afford everybody, I do even if you're like a big like of the Phillies, um, I feel like that. It's it's a smart move to to trade a guy like that. I just think generally speaking, it's a smart move. Now it's a smart move, but not in the deadline. Okay, right. Good. right? That's I a good would point. say you trade him at the end of the year. That's fine. That's a good point because you're still trying to make a playoff. It basically signifies to everybody that we only care about how much we have to spend and make. We don't care about actually winning this year. Because if you cared about winning, you wouldn't have done that. You could have traded him in the off season and got something else for him. Right. Yeah. Now, I understand, because here's another thing they did. They immediately let go, DFA'd one of the guys that they got out of the deal, too, Dillison Lamette. They immediately had to let go of one. Of, so not only did you get three prospects, you let go of one of them. So you really only got two guys. You traded him straight up for Taylor Rogers and, a, and an unknown prospect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not a good trade, uh-huh. regardless if you're saving 15 mil or not. Okay. Like, well, how much do you think you make from winning a World Series? Uh, uh, how much do you think 30, you make from going to the playoffs? 10 million, 10 million. There you go. That's enough to pay for most of the salary for next year if you go to get to get to go. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because if you win a division, you're going to host a playoff game. Uh. Right. And right. they're gonna, they were going to win the division if they had them. Doesn't every does everyone host a play? Oh, I guess I guess they don't because it's a because it, the first there's only two three di- there's only three divisions. So the first two division the top two division winners get buys and then it's. One, uh, three and six and four and five. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. right. So and best of three. Imagine. And best of three at their house. So they would be they would be hosting a game against the worst team, which would probably be the Phillies at this point. Um, in that at that time, and now they're going to be if they get in, they're going to um, whoever's second in the MLB in the National League. Give me a second, I'll let you know. Um, New York Mets. It is the Braves, the which Braves. means it's an automatic two games and you're out. Okay. I mean, they're not. They're not even going to win a game. Yeah. Right. They're they're one game out away from the Phillies. They're game and a half away from the Padres, and they're six games away from the Braves. So they're they're not going to be hosting a playoff game anymore, mm-hmm. unless they somehow win the division, which I don't think they're going to, because the Cardinals look red hot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Cardinals every summer. It's uh, this is this is team is in first place, and they just enter first place, and they just never look back. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that generally one one sense that I get though from the trade deadline is that it does feel like teams are are still holding on to their prospects a little bit. I think a little bit too much. I mean, I think that you still have these teams who are a little a little bit reticent. I mean, I think that teams could be a little bit more transactional, especially with their prospects. I mean, come on, we we have to remember that most prospects still don't end up even in even in the great Tampa Bay Rays organization. Like most of their prospects still are not going to end up making the majors. So you have to, but then the problem is, you know, on, on, the, on the flip side, the, you know, GMs and a lot of the front office people, like they're, they have like six years. And if they make one of those trades where if they trade a, like a, a future Jacob deGrom for, you know, for some guy who's going to help them for a half season, then they end up, then that's their, their forever, their reputation is forever pinned to that trade. Oh, it, you're the dupe. You know what's funny is you, you say that, but then we go back and we look at Dayton Moore <laughs> and it's like, he did all that and he won a world series. Now nobody can ever question him regardless if he makes a shitty trade or not. And I hate that. I hate what you're saying. If I made a trade to try to get better and it ends up not working for me and that kid who we uh, 
I originally located and thought was going to be good, but I had to move him at the time because I thought we could win a World Series. Ends up being really, really good. That's not on me. That's the kid being really good like I thought he was, which means I can find another person like that. And obviously, you're never going to find another Jacob deGrom. We get that. But the fact that he didn't make the move means you're stup too stupid to, to try to go after something. And that's the thing that's going on with Dayton Moore and the Royals right now is they, they don't – they're so content with – we hung a banner. It's going to hang forever. Look at the banner waving in the thing. It's like, dude, nobody's seeing it because nobody even goes to the games. No. Nobody watches them on TV either. No. So it's like, I don't really care. They, they always said, and this is another thing that Dowd said, and the reason why they didn't mortgage their, their future, this is a GM for, for the, a long time in the, in the MLB, is banners may hang forever, but fanfare, it wanes every two years. And if you're not good, every two years you're either good or you're not good and you're not going to have people in the stands. If you don't have people in the stands, you're never going to have money to buy players and get better. I ever. love that. Banners may hang banners hang forever, but fanfare is only good for every two years, only lasts every two years. You have to earn it. Yep. You have to earn it every year or every two years. Which is the you reason why in those big, big, big markets, they know they have money. And if you're bad for two years as a Boston Red Sox um, or a Yankee or the Dodgers – or even the Cubs, um, or like the Giants or the Braves, they're asking for your head. Like, get out of here. Like, you're gone. Like, we need somebody in here that's going to actually try to win games. They, Because the only thing they do care about is the banner, right? But you can't win only one and say we won the banner of the game of baseball. The reason why the Yankees are a big market team is because they have 20-something banners, almost 30. I'm, I mean, I don't know exactly how many they have. They have a ton. Right. But it's like... That's the, and the Cardinals win all the time, too. I mean, they got four or five. And so that's the reason why they operate in a small market but have large market money. I mean, and, and can do large market things is because they operate like a, a, a large market team in a small market. Now, they make savvy moves when it comes to their people, but they're not, gonna, they're not out here giving up wins because it might help their bottom line in the yeah. next two years. And I also think it's insulting to just insinuate that like the World Series and World Series victories are the only thing that matters. Yeah, well, we have more pennants than you do since 2009. I see a lot of Royals fans say that to Yankees. Well, we have more World Series than you have in the last 12 years. Well, yeah, and you and you also have about 12 times as many 90-plus lost seasons. So yeah. what is that? And, and you also draw about a fifth as many fans on average. Actually, probably less than that. So it's insulting to also tell everybody in your organization that the only thing that matters is the World Series. Because then the 162 games and the spring training games and all of the other postseason games are meaningless, if you say that. That's insulting. That's insulting to the average fan. Like, why are we even having this podcast right now? Why are we even talking about that? We really we shouldn't even be talking until October 20th, if, if, if you listen to If the we were in the Royals front office. It's yeah. like saying, um, and this I'll be honest with you, you bring up a good point. Um, this happens a lot in college football. Well, it's like, well, we lost our first game. We're out for the year. No need to keep playing. Like, why would we even keep playing? And I've seen multiple times where teams lose their first game and then they come back and then they end up going to the, the, the playoff. And yeah. if you have the mentality of once we lose and we're out, oh, we're out. We're done. We can't play anymore. Like, if that happens, it happens. But, like, you can't give up your entire season and the next subsequent seasons because, you know, we won the World Series six, eight years ago. We're good. Right. Yeah, stupid. You're just doing. You're you're spitting on the Kansas City fans. Wow, um, spitting on the Kansas City fans that came out supported you those two years. You were good. Two out of the last thirty. Um, yeah, and that's absolutely true. Two out of the last maybe third, almost forty years. Yeah. Um, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. What yeah. do you want? I mean, what do you like? What What are you trying to prove? Are you trying to prove that you want a different ballpark or you're leaving? I mean, 
I know I keep bringing up the Vegas thing because it's it's the only interesting thing about Kansas City right now. <laughs> what they have on the field is not interesting. The downtown ballpark doesn't interest me. Right. Who they're playing interests me more. Like, yeah, you know, obviously I would love to go see some of these teams play and stuff like that that they're playing against because I want to go see a good team play baseball. Right. I would. I can't wait to watch the Dodgers come in next weekend and beat up on the Royals. I can't wait to watch Padres come in and beat up on the Royals. That's. I just can't wait to go see that. That's what I want to see. Right. The Twins would be fun to watch come in and just absolutely destroy the Royals. Now, I know the Royals are winning thirteen to three right now, but that's a one out of every sixty games that actually happens. They score. They're going to score thirteen runs. That'll be more than what they score next week. Yeah. And it's insulting right now to be talking about downtown ballpark, and because we we know that as as especially as a Jackson County resident, which I am, and we know that we're eventually going to have to pay up a little bit of money. Now it could be a little bit, it could be a lot of money, but we know that that our, our that my wallet right now, at, at sometime in the, over the next I don't know five to ten years or whatever, it's maybe three be, years. It's before twenty twenty eight. It'll have to be built all the way completed before twenty twenty eight. Right. When Kauffman Stadium leases up. Yeah. So I, I know that I'm going to have to at least spend a little bit of money from my pocket. And to me right now, coming after possibly 300 lost seasons in the last five years, and one of them being this year, possibly 100 lost seasons this year, maybe more like 95 losses. But coming off, off of those, it's just insulting. I mean, it's just insulting to me. And it just reeks of just, just I mean, we tone would, deafness. We would not be having this conversation if they were winning 85, 90 games a year. Right. And they were in the playoffs. I don't care if they go to the playoffs and lose badly to a way better team. I don't care. As long as they're in the playoffs and I can go to a bar and watch them play yeah. and hang out with all the other Royals fans like it was when they were in the World Series and the place was going nuts. And it was just fun to be around. Nobody wants to be around a team that sucks, especially right. teams that you got people that want to leave. They don't want to be there. Right. And we certainly don't want to be spending our own money and voluntarily going out and spending our own money for these pet projects. I mean, if we want to go to the Royals game, that's completely different. I mean, like but I don't most of the people here don't even want to spend money to go to the game. Why would I want to spend money to buy them a new ballpark? Right. Yeah. So they need to work on their organization first. They need to fix what's wrong with the development of their organization, with the development of their players, with their coaching, with their scouting. They need to fix that. And we need to see tangible results. We need to see results. For one thing, I mean, hiring, a, you know, getting like a Mike Elias from Houston Astros, for example, we're not going to get him, but somebody like him, that would be a big first step. Like as a fan, that'd be, that would be a major, major step in the right direction. Wow. And then at that point, then I'm becoming more enthusiastic about downtown ballpark. What's a good GM that you think you go after a few of the Royals right now? That's a good question. I actually named three guys and I'm actually going to pull it up right now um, because I, there were three, um, three guys who I mentioned uh, and it may take me about a minute or so because I'm literally pulling it up right now on my phone. But there were three uh, general managers who I was mentioning here. One of them was from the Athletics, who's been a longtime assistant for the Athletic Oakland A's for a long time. Um, and then another one well, was I mean, from to, Houston. Yeah. To start, baseball operations manager, VP of operations, more needs to go. Because right. he's not the GM anymore, right? No. And so has promoted. there been any talks of them wanting to get rid of him? I know everybody no. thinks he's amazing. He's such a good, he's so good. He's such amazing. a good. Amazing, yeah. So good. Like, if he was so good, why are they always terrible? Right. If he hits good, if he's such a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? That's right. the best line I've ever heard from a, a sports movie. If he's such a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? <laughs> right, right. I'm trying to think of a comparison for, for Dayton Moore, like from, a, from another trying to think of a comparison and I can't really the problem is you can't you can't think of a comparison because no other sports franchise is doing what the Royals are doing right now I mean uh, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of any 
the NFL, there hasn't been a team that was like historically the worst team in the league every single year. And then two years ended up being went back to back Super Bowls and finally won one and then returned to being the worst team in the league. Yeah. Um, if you look at historically in baseball, the Philadelphia Phillies back from like 1910 until they were really bad from like 1910 through like, I don't know, like 1950. But they did have one, maybe two like really, really good teams. They had two World Series teams. And all of the other years, they were really bad. So that's like one other. Comparison. Yeah, but that's a completely different ball game. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm just trying to, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking talking about here. I'm thinking. Basically from like the 70s on. Yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> I can't think of anything. But to name the three, uh, three GMs who, uh, potential GMs who I uh, really liked, one of them was, uh, well, wait a minute. Hold on. I just had it here. Uh, wait a minute. Okay, there we go. Billy Owens from the Athletics, Jason McLeod, I, I think I'm pronouncing him correctly, from the Tampa Bay Rays, and then Pete Putilla from the Houston Astros. So those are three names that intrigue me. I also like Kim uh, Kim New, New. Is that how you pronounce her last name? The New Marlins GM, female female GM. Yeah. I think that would actually be kind of a, a good thing for the Royals to do. Why, why the hell not? Don't you have to just go after men? Let's go after a woman. They're probably like 98% men who would buy for the role, but hell, why not? Let's go after, go after a woman. They're going to be motivated. You know, I, I, I think that's an unprecedented role. Plus, it would just be cool. It'd be cool. Try something new. Somebody with an analytics background, you know, somebody who's not that. We've tried a bunch of ex-scouts. Uh, Allard Baird was an ex-scout. Dayton Moore was an ex-scout. That's not working. That doesn't work. You got to go with the new school. I'm not saying that scouting, I think scouting is absolutely uh, is, is vital, just as analytics is vital in, in, in any organization. But I think the Royals, they need their lead guy to come from analytics, and they need to be able to make decisions based upon that. So anyway, those are three guys who I, uh, uh, who I cited. But yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, I think until the leadership changes, and by leadership, I'm talking about front office, I think for the Royals, it's just going to be more of the same, and it, it's, it sucks, but... Uh, and, and I want to be able to root for these guys. Like, there are guys to root for. I mean, you've got Brady Singer. You've got Daniel Lynch. You've got young players. You've got Pascantino and, and Prado. And they're probably like 10 to 12 who you could look at and say, hmm, this is, okay, well, this is worth watching the team because because of these 10 to 12 players. Like, oh, I want to see what Michael Massey can do. He's he's pretty cool. But Didn't he hit the, like 500? I, uh, Massey's, I think, has hit, it played, has 20 at-bats entering today. He's hitting 300. And 20 at bats. He was hitting like 450 when I saw him come up. Oh, really? He took uh, um, who who's broke up Lance Lynn's no hitter after that rain delay? Um, against Singer last time when they played him, I think it was Wednesday. Wednesday? Oh, well, they got out of a rain delay. He came out and just broke up a no hitter. He was hitting like 500 at the time, but really? it was only like fifth at bat. So I, it was just really funny to see. Yeah. Um, because I had I had some friends who were like, "Mag Massey's the future of the Royals. He's hitting 500," and I'm yeah. like, "He's got like four at bats, dude." Yeah. So, but I think that'll wrap us up for the week. Um, I mean, we understand what's going on. We, we kind of see we don't really like what's going on with some of the teams. Some of the teams did okay. But I feel like we'll have to revisit everything at the, the middle of September and kind of go from there, see what we think is going to happen with the playoff races. And um, we'll go from there. So we'll see you next time. Appreciate it. Follow us. Give us a like, comment, subscribe, do all the normal stuff you guys normally do. And we'll see you guys next week. See you next week, guys.